0: episode number 147 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording in beautiful Jackson Hole, Wyoming. This week's episode is sponsored in part by the Grand Teton Music Festival, celebrating its 60th season this summer. Now through August 21st, more information at gtmf.org. Also supporting this episode is Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and the big C, compost. Whenever possible, avoid using those single-use products like little old plastic bags. Remember, recycle, it's good for us. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephen Clark Abrams, your host. To keep this podcast going and successful, I appreciate all of you listeners sharing and delivering this podcast to your friends. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see each day walking around town, drinking a good cup of coffee, or hanging out at our local brew pub. I feel we all have a story to share, and I want to bring you stories which you can connect with, and that's going to add some really good energy to your day. Sharing stories allows us to all learn and grow so we can live full lives. And my guest today is Emma Kale. Emma has recently moved to Jackson Hole with her family to take the position as Grand Teton Music Festival's Executive Director. And in in addition to being an executive director, Emma's a wife, a mom of two young boys, and helping Grand Teton Music Festival celebrate their 60th season. Emma certainly has been tossed right into the community. Today Emma shares with us her road from growing up in rural Kentucky to living in Kansas and now right here in Wyoming. We also learn about the early beginnings of Grand Teton Music Festival and some of the venues, which you'll be shocked about, where the early musicians had to hold performances. And today, what Grand Teton Music Festival's commitment is to this fabulous community. Emma, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. Wonderful to meet you and see you. Great to meet you. So early in the, before we started the interview, we were talking a little bit and you told me how recently you've moved here. Yes. And it is very recent. So let's start with sharing with folks when you moved here and and why you moved here to Jackson Hole, Wyoming.
1: Sure. Well, um, let me just back up even before I moved here. I had always heard about... No backing up. No backing up? Okay. (laughs) Backing up to the first time I had heard about um, Jackson, and it was through the Grand Teton Music Festival. I'm a lifelong musician and pivoted into administration, but have always um, known about this festival through this pilgrimage that... The musicians that make up this festival orchestra um, that they they come here year after year and it's this magical place and the first time I came to Jackson was to interview to be the executive director and I remember that day very well because it was my husband's 40th birthday and we touched down at that airport as you do and just were completely overwhelmed and um I went through a quick process and moved my family here from Kansas City in very late August and started um, in my role as executive director of the Grand Teton Music Festival on September 1st. And my kiddos started school on September 2nd. So we've been here, I mean, we are pandemic um, transplants, but um, we're here for the long term.
0: Did you move from Kansas City, Kansas or Kansas City, Missouri?
1: Well, actually, neither. So I should say Kansas City area. Okay. Um, so I worked in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh-huh. I was general manager of the Kansas City Symphony for mm-hmm. about 10 years. And we actually lived um, south of Kansas City, Missouri or Kansas in Overland Park, Kansas. So okay. Johnson County, Kansas.
0: And you have two kiddos, you said? I do. What are their ages?
1: Um, I have a five-year-old and I have an almost eight-year-old. It's awesome. Two boys. Living, Me too. Yeah, it's they are living life, their yeah. best life. Sleeping in tents. Mm-hmm. Um, this week they're trying to see if they can make it five days in the backyard before we do some some more serious camping. Nice. They're loving it.
0: Cool. My boys are seven and five. Right well, around. We have to get them to meet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It's great. <laughs> love they love it.
1: They probably have met. I'm, I'm having this experience where my boys meet kids and they're like, oh, we met at the park. You mm-hmm. know some other time. Maybe. It's a small town.
0: That is. Yes, it is a small town. So congratulations on moving your family here from Kansas and starting your job September 1st in the height of a small pandemic yes. that we've all gotten to experience. Hasn't missed anybody, I don't think, one way or another. And... So you're at the Grand Teton Music Festival, and you guys have a big year this year. We do. Why?
1: Well, it is um, the 60th season of the music festival, and it's also um, very much a reason to celebrate just coming back to having live performances with live audiences. Um, I would say, you know, everyone has been affected by the pandemic, but... For musicians, and in particular, you know, in my world of orchestras, the artists that are involved in classical music have really been hit hard. You know, our, our audience is sitting close together, our audience sometimes is a little older, um, not always. And um, we are nonprofits too, so we rely on donations, but we also rely on ticket sales. And in order to, to do what we do, we have to have performances. So it's been a precarious time for everyone in the industry, um, but coming back together. This summer is is just an incredible celebration because this is the first time so many of our musicians, many of our guest artists are actually getting to do the thing that they do in about, you know, 16, 18 months. Um, yeah. We have musicians who are coming from, an example would be the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra, some of the most fantastic musicians in the country, and they have not played since I think it was March 10th or 11th of 2020, and this is the first time they are doing what they're hmm. they're meant to do. So it's 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 an awesome opportunity to celebrate a milestone, but just also everyone coming back. And our theme is coming home because so many of these musicians consider this to be their home. And it's um, as you know, I mean, the sense of place here is extraordinary. So it it's so wonderful to see them to come back together and to perform these for these audiences that are just so hungry for this experience.
0: Yes, indeed. I'm glad you guys are doing it, bringing it all back. I want to learn from you a little bit of the history of the music festival. So you mentioned it's the 60th season. Mm -hmm. And so the music festival does a summer season and a winter season. Is that considered two different seasons?
1: Um, I think this has evolved. I mean, it's somewhat it is considered different seasons, okay. how it's structured. In the summer, we are full orchestra. The mm-hmm. core of what we do is 80 to 90 musicians on stage playing in Walk Hall. It's a little different this summer because we just um, started our season outdoors on a stage that we put up at the Center for the Arts. And in the winter, it's usually been about a program a month. And um, we run from October to about mud season. So <laughs> I'm learning the terminology, but probably October through March this year. Mm-hmm. And then we'll ramp back up for a summer season um, that will run seven to eight weeks. So a little different, uh, some overlap in musicians, but we're also importing um, some of the finest guest artists, not only in this country, but in the world. We have an incredible young cellist joining us next week, July 15th, 16th, and 17th, Shiku Mason, And he is, um, I think he's 20, maybe 21, but he's a young British um, cellist who rose to fame um, because of his extraordinary musicianship, but he also played at the most recent royal wedding, Meghan and Harry's wedding. So he's a big deal. So we're bringing in people
0: from all over He's got to be good to do that. <laughs> That's right.
1: That's right. He is. So...
0: And tell the tell us all where did the vision come from from Grand Teton Music Festival? How did how did it start? So this
1: is a great story, and as I mentioned, um, I I am new, so part of my learning of the traditions of this community and how in the world the um, the annual pilgrimage of these incredible musicians started coming here. I mean, understanding that. That history was part of by learning, and so the story goes is that there was there was a group of volunteers of women who sat around a dinner table at a home in Melody Ranch, um, sixty plus years ago, and came up with the idea of starting a fine arts festival so bringing the arts to this i mean i don't know if i want to call jackson a cow town at that time but i think it was like there were dirt roads and
0: oh yeah it was a cow town yeah i mean dirt roads ranching sure i mean it was ranching you worked for the government in the world of forest bml land park service or you were a teacher and other than that there was not much else out here except during the summer months when there was a little bit of tourism
1: Right. So it was the vision of this group of volunteers that set out to bring culture and, you know, probably it would be European culture to Jackson. And it was the Fine Arts Festival for several years and eventually turned into the Grand Teton Music Festival and I think we started out playing in like a high school gym there was a time where before walk festival hall was built in the village it was a essentially a circus tent that was erected Hmm. and that they played in for four years so very humble beginnings but it was the passion of the people here um and the volunteers many of a few that are still involved i mean we have we have patrons that have given to the festival for 60 years straight which is extraordinary and it's it's continued to grow and evolve and it's recognized as one of the finest classical music festivals not only in the country but in the world now
0: no kidding yes what has created the Notoriety throughout the world is one of the finest.
1: I think it's, again, just going back to the people who have been involved, who had the passion to bring really fine artists. I mean, right now, our music director, Donald Runicles, Sir Donald Runicles, um, he's the music director of the Berlin state opera. So the Deutsche opera, he's also the um, principal guest conductor of the Sydney symphony in Australia, as well as the Atlanta symphony. So he has an international profile and you know, he has relationships, and um, our past music directors have had relationships that have encouraged people to take a chance, come to Wyoming, and play here. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Like, what happens to everyone who comes and visits here? They want to come back. They want to stay. So it's, it's part of the fabric of one of these, these incredible enriching and renewing experiences for artists that have very busy seasons in normal times and are traveling all over the world and they love coming here
0: you have some performers some musicians who've been coming here for a lot of consecutive years what's the longest standing musician or a few musicians amount of time that they've been coming to play here
1: I'm still getting to know the musicians, um, but I have, we're featuring some of these milestones in our program book, so I've read about them. Mm-hmm. But I think the longest is 51 Years by yeah, okay. Marsha Peck. She's a cellist, and um, she is a fixture. I'll also mention our personnel manager, principal percussionist, and artistic consultant, Richard Brown, hmm. and he's coming out of the Houston area, is a homeowner here now and he's been coming here for either 42 or 43 years Kind of changes on the day when you talk to him. but he is um, you know he's he's the heart and soul of this organization and that he is helping to fill out the instrument instrumentation based on the programming needs and he's just got a rolodex of musicians that he knows love this place and will come out and um, to play for us so great traditions.
0: There's a lot of tradition in this community, and one of them is the Grand Teton Music Festival, for sure, which is now the Grand Teton Music Festival, which used to be the the Fine Arts, um, what you say, the Fine Arts Festival? festival. I think so, yeah. <clears throat> Fascinating how it's gone from the Fine Arts Festival to the Grand Teton Music Festival. When I first moved here, it was the big thing that they did was their big wine auction, mm-hmm. which was internationally known as well. And it would bring people from all over the country and all over the world to buy wine at this amazing wine auction. It was in Wine Spectator and any other publication that featured big, big events like that. Now, for people who don't really understand what the music festival is, give us a sense of the scope of music, which is performed. Mm-hmm
1: yeah um th- the music festival is uh, the programming varies from we commission new works so brand new pieces written for orchestra by living composers and it runs the gamut back to to works and composers that have that have been written for 300 or maybe even 400 years ago so that it, it's it's a broad scope and uh, you know the The congealing factor of the music is that it's all world class. It is the musicians and the music that you can hear and Walk Festival Hall are the same that you could hear in New York or in Paris or in Berlin. Um, So it really runs the the gamut. Um, This year, we are folding in some non-symphonic music. So we have a series that we're calling the Gateway Series as um, a gateway to some... Adventures Outside of Traditional Symphonic Music, and we're featuring a group called Time for Three, Third Coast Percussion coming out of Chicago, and then an ensemble of Broadway musicians. So in each of those cases, um, there would be more popular styles of music folded into what we're presenting. So it's broadening um, as well. And last night, um, we just had our 4th of July concert, and we featured a singer who... Um, sing America the Beautiful in the style of Ray Charles. So I mean we really mm. run the gamut. She did a little a couple tunes um, that Ella Fitzgerald would have sung um, with orchestra um, and it was just fantastic. So the idea again is just that it's always it's always really, really good when you come to the Grand Teton Music Festival.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not you would not be disappointed. A patron would not be disappointed to go in there to see the music. And it is very, very, it's professionally done. It's well done. We're going to have a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors. And then, Emma, we will be right back. This week's episode is sponsored in part by Grand Teton Music Festival, which is celebrating its 60th season right this summer. Now through August 21st, my birthday, the festival will present orchestra concerts led by musical director Sir Donical Ronicles, chamber music performed by festival musicians, plus world-class guest ensembles. Upcoming performances will be held at Walk Festival Hall right in Teton Village. Visit gtmf.org for a full schedule. Additional sponsorship comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, and they're asking you to bring those reusable bags whenever you go shopping for groceries or whatever else you might need a bag for. Keep those reusable bags in your car so you never forget them. When you get home, unload them and put them back in the car. Remember to wash those bags as well to keep them clean and to avoid spreading gems. We don't want gems. Food waste composting and additional yard waste composting is available at the Trash Transfer Station facilities. Call 733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operations. Emma, welcome back. We're just talking about the history of the Grand Teton Music Festival and the fact that this is its 60th season and you have one performer cellist who's been playing with the music festival for 51 years now and you mentioned the works that are performed there and some works the music festival commissions to be created for performing there but you also mention that there's some music being played that's several hundred years old and in the world of music this interests me a lot is You hear about the rights of the people who write the music. So somebody who wrote music several hundred years ago, they're no longer here. Are there royalties paid to perform those pieces with that music being so old?
1: That's interesting. It, It actually, it kind of, it always depends on the specific work, the edition so there is a scope of time where a specific work becomes public domain. So it is free of rights. However, the specific editions, so this would be the edits, the markings of, of certain pieces, for example, something that's um, really well known, Beethoven's Fifth, might have several different editions. There might be fees that we would pay to um, a publishing house for those specific Parts. They would, it's kind of an interesting process of getting the music on the stand. I mean, a conductor would decide what version of a piece he would play. He would communicate to our librarian. They'd place an order. Um, it would be shipped here. Um, then um, if you've ever been to an orchestra, you see how the strings move in synchrony, They are moving together. Their bows are moving up and down in the same way. So the next piece of the process after the music is here and it's decided is that the first chair, the principal of each of those sections, places markings. So it goes from the first violin and it works its way down the string sections. So there's a good amount of runtime of preparing the music so that when these these extraordinary professional musicians, many or most who have been studying their instrument since they were in the single digits. Mm -hmm. Um, String players generally (laughs) start under 10. Many even start as early as two or three. Um, So then you get the music to such a place that when they sit down together with a conductor, it just happens and you don't need very much time at all. An example that I used this week in, in talking to a few audience members about our musicians is that, you know, we had a concert on July 2nd and our musicians arrived um, two days earlier, the 30th of, of June. So they basically had two rehearsals and sat down and and did a show and it was, it was remarkable. So it takes a lot of prep, a lot of work, a lot of different people um, getting things ready for these musicians to sit down and do what they
0: do. Do you guys provide them the music so they could practice it in advance?
1: Yeah, we sure do. Okay. Um, you know, and some some would take us up on that offer and many probably have parts in their own personal library as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, musicians, it's, it's a daily practice. Musicians, um, it's not something you can just turn on and off. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's something they're always preparing for what's next. And I think that's what's one of the things that has been so extraordinary over the past couple of days, seeing these musicians come back together. Because so many of them have not had the opportunity to actually do what they do in an ensemble and four people. They've just been practicing without a... So many of them without a point of, of performing um, together. So mm-hmm. it's been... It's been neat to see that happens, and I'm sure it's been quite emotional for them um, because uh, due to the pandemic, they've been prevented to from playing for live audiences, and mm-hmm. now they can.
0: Yeah. I get caught up in details, so I'm very <laughs> interested in something that you, we had just talked about a second ago, and the ability of these musicians is just phenomenal. To hear you say, they can arrive a few days in advance and get together and put on a world class uh, performance with each other. But you, you talked about the additions of the music. So Beethoven's Fifth is the example you used. If it's a different edition, is it the music which is that he wrote, originally wrote, is it altered in some way or is it? you mentioned about the bows mm-hmm. in in the string section how they're all moving in with the synchronicity is that what the addition does
1: yeah it's a little bit it's um it's the notes on the page are the same the same mm-hmm. number of notes the same measures so these are you know the length of the piece the same music but it's it's really some stylistic interpretations And um, that may be different as far as the markings, like play this shorter, play this longer. Um, This is a slur, so it's like it's connected, a note is connected to another one or not. All of those details, um, musicians are trained to look at a piece of music and interpret it. It's almost like um, it it, it is a language, it is a foreign language, right? So um, all of those nuances, Make the performance more cohesive. And of course, the conductor, um, when a conductor waves his arms, it does not make any noise. So the conductor has the purview to change the markings either beforehand or on the fly or in and help guide the group of musicians and the way they are performing the notes that were written two or three hundred years ago. And what I love about classical music and what i love about just i mean it's it's a lifelong it's um joy is that no one performance is like another it's always fresh it's different there are no click tracks there are no tracks so if you go to i mean i love i love pop music you know i was a really really big radiohead fan when i was younger and then um a couple of years ago, I went to one of their concerts and I was like, man, it's just like they're p- pressing play on a recording. I mean, there's cool lightings and, and, um, the experience is great, but it's, it's so much like the recording. It just, it didn't have that energy. And I, so I think, um, you know, all of this set up, these background details of an orchestra, and this is really nitty-gritty, so this is this is pretty nerdy mm-hmm. stuff here, <laughs> is that it's it, it levels the playing field, that everyone is on a baseline, and then in the moment, a conductor or specific musicians can make such a nuanced decision in the moment, and that, to me, is so exciting. I mean, and that's why people need to experience it in person and live. There are great recordings, but... Um, it's a flash in time. I mean, I mean, it, it only happens once mm-hmm. and that's why it's, it's so exciting. And, you know, I, when I, moving to Jackson and being outside and like, you know, you do the same hikes again, but it's always a little different, right? I mean, sure. in your experience of the weather, of how it feels and it's, there is a similarity I think mm-hmm. too. And that being present in a moment, it's just, it's exceptional um, to, to have that opportunity to experience something great in the
0: moment. I appreciate that thoroughness that you shared because it's for somebody who doesn't attend regular orchestra symphonies uh performances i i don't know and and my guess is most people who would attend a symphony probably wouldn't know some of that detail but you as a musician and somebody in your role as the executive director needs to understand this
1: Yeah, Um, I think it helps. I would say that if you come to one of our concerts, you don't need to know all of this stuff. No, no. But it does help having someone like me who can, um, because I'm doing everything I can to make sure these extraordinary musicians can walk in the door and do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So the background, the staff of that, having someone who um, understands all that it takes is is helpful.
0: Now, you mentioned early on that you're a musician and I don't know if anybody heard that thunder (laughs) if you did uh it was loud and for here right now to have thunder is pretty wild what instrument are you a musician of
1: so I began my life as a musician taking piano Mm -hmm. but I would not call myself a pianist at this point I was a trumpet player so I grew up in small town Kentucky and heard an orchestra when I was about 10 years old at an outdoor concert the Louisville Orchestra in a park it was totally transfixed and I remember telling my parents I wanted to be a cellist um, and for them I and mean, there were no string programs there were no opportunities for anything like that so what was available was a band program and someone gave them a trumpet I think it was actually free Mm -hmm. Uh, my brothers were both already in band they were drummers so they needed drumsticks and a free trumpet kind of fit into that scene Um, not only because it was available but it was loud enough to compete with my older brothers Mm. (laughs) (laughs) and so it just happened to work and uh, you know we both have kids and it's it's fun to see when that spark happens and mm-hmm. when they are really find something they love and that's what happened to me and was very quickly I think gosh I joined the high school band in seventh grade <laughs> so <they laughs> did put, you yes they put well it's a small town and they needed someone you know trumpets are important for a marching band mm-hmm. you would know this going to
0: yeah Alabama, living in New Orleans right <laughs> New yeah, Orleans and, and Alabama had a million dollar band marching band oh, like,
1: this awesome band
0: when I was, I'm sorry to digress, but when I was in college, I took a class with a gentleman and he's blind and he played the trumpet in the marching band. Oh, wow. He memorized every single note and beat and step. Amazing. hmm In that band? Oh, yeah. Oh, incredible. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I very humble beginnings. I mean, as far as the level of musicians I interact with now, if I toad. I don't know. I haven't had this conversation with Sir Donald Coles about playing classical music in a marching band in Kentucky, but it really worked for me. And so I ended up deciding pretty early on that that's what I was going to do. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to, and at that point in time, the only way I knew to be in music was, um, by being a player. Um, so I ended up going to, um, actually finishing high school at a boarding school in, um, Michigan called Interlochen Arts Academy, where Inter-lochen? I... F- Interlochen? Interlochen okay. Arts Academy in near Traverse City, Michigan. And from there went on to study trumpet performance at Indiana University. I have a master's degree as well from Cleveland Institute of Music. And should mention that in my time in studying and pursuing to be a classical um, musician, I would, in the summer focus my studies at music festivals. And the first music festival that I attended, I think my senior year of high school was in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, the Tanglewood Music Center. Um, I went to the Boston University Tangle Institute, Tanglewood Institute. And so that was the first time that I really experienced the magic of music and classical music in an extraordinary outdoor location and was lucky enough to have that experience a couple other times in my early career. I um, first came to the Rocky Mountains at the Aspen Music Festival um, and then returned to work there, and that's where I met my husband. So, um, you know, being in Jackson and working in classical music in a town of, I don't know, are we 10,000 people? Are we...
0: Mm, i don't know if the town itself is 10 i remember seeing some stats during the pandemic of what was being tracked and it seemed like our county was 20 22 maybe um we could be 10 in the town now right yeah
1: so to work in classical music in a town of this size um it's pretty special and it makes sense in a music festival environment i mean given other places like um my experience in aspen this of course is not aspen at all i quickly hmm. learned that and learned quickly not to say i expect this jackson to be like aspen because it's not
0: no and aspen's <laughs> not like jackson indeed yes we are all uh, our own unique places right. with all of our own unique people and for people if they wanted to attend a performance this year, are there still tickets available to go to a Grand Teton Music Festival There sure
1: are. And so where we are right now with the pandemic, we're in transition. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not done with the pandemic yet, even though it feels like we are all so ready for it to be done. But we've set capacity in Walk Festival Hall for 50% at this point. And to accommodate the demand, which is there, we've added performances. So on Thursdays, we've opened up um, performances throughout the season. So there still are tickets available for festival orchestra concerts on Thursdays. And I do think that there will be. Additional I' um, right now technically, if you went to our website, we are very happy to say that we are sold out on Saturday nights, but we have a wait list because I think things will adjust, things will change, people turn back in tickets.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If you want to come, you can. Fabulous. You can find a way. We also have concerts on Wednesday nights um, that feature our festival orchestra musicians and smaller ensembles and chamber music. And these are programs that are, I think, really interesting and exciting because they're programs that our musicians have put together. In this case, it was, you know, it was not someone on staff or our music director saying, play this. These are pieces that they have chosen to perform with their colleagues. Mm -hmm. So it'll be pretty special.
0: look forward to it. And what about for kids?
1: Okay, for kids. Well, I am motivated to get kids to our concerts. We just had a full orchestra concert at the Center for the Arts for Kids on Saturday, July 3rd. Had about 400 families out there, 400 individuals of families, which was great. But we also have a program this summer called GTMF on the Road And this is a configuration of our musicians and small ensembles that will be playing outside throughout the community. And we have um, over 20 events scheduled at this point.
0: If somebody went to gtmf.org, would they see a schedule for that? Absolutely. So
1: you can see the complete schedule for these programs at gtmf.org. Um, And again, it's called GTMF on the Road. And these concerts will happen, as I mentioned, throughout the community. Um, Some are in collaboration with other nonprofit organizations. We're partnering with Whole Food Rescue. They have their um, Sprouts Mobile that is going to be activated throughout the community. And we thought, gosh, we need to get on that schedule Mm -hmm. and... um, think how we can reach families where they are. We also have two performances that I'm really excited about at the R Park on July 22nd and July 29th. And these programs are in collaboration with Teton Music School and um, Jackson Hole Public Art. And these programs will run from 2 to 4 p.m. Kids will get to show up and make instruments. Um, We're calling it a junkestra. Out of trash and mm. have a little session with our musicians, and they can play along during a little concert. And then they go out and they explore the art park and go check out that fabulous troll Mimi. So yeah. really fun stuff. Um, just overlapping, like all of this incredible community acti- activity in Jackson. You know, it's I- I'm so looking forward to those um, those concerts. I mean, because that's what it's really all about. It's about to planting the seeds for not just future artists uh, future artists or future audience but for um for children to have um a richer experience here in this community in all ways and mm-hmm. we can be part of
0: that well i am thrilled emma that you are now the executive director of grand Teton music festival and welcome to you and your family look forward to Meeting your husband and meeting those kids sooner than later, even with the busy, busy summer we all yeah. have. If people wanted to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way for them to to connect with you?
1: People can always call the office, but honestly, it's a small enough town that I'm just going to give my email address. It's yeah. emma at gtmf.org. I am not just on the road with GTMF on the road, but I'm on the road a lot out in the community, and I'm so excited to meet more people who love music, more people who have ideas about how we can be connected to this community and in their own lives. So send me an email.
0: Will do. Emma, thank you so much for coming and joining me today and sharing so much about you and your family and the Grand Teton Music Festival, the impact that GTMF has had in our community for the past 60 seasons. And this is what one of those things that is woven into the fabric of our community. And so glad that we have you and Grand Teton Music Festival. Thank you.
1: Thanks for all of that. Glad to meet you.
0: You as well. Take care, Emma. All right. Thanks. Bye. To learn more about Emma and the Grand Teton Music Festival, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 147. Thank you, everybody, for listening and tuning in today. Get out there and share this podcast and give us a like as well. I love some five stars. Thank you to Michael Morey, my editor and marketing director, my wife, Laura, and my boys, William and Lewis. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back here next week or the Jackson Hole Connection.